there's a phrase in the Gospels that never fails to capture my attention. And he had compassion. This phrase is used to describe how Jesus felt when he recognizes someone in need. When we see this phrase, it's always followed up by action. When Jesus feels compassion, he is moved to action. He sees crowds and he has compassion, so he heals the sick among them. Moved with compassion, Jesus touches the blind and they see. He has compassion for those who have sat and listened to his teaching for days, and instead of sending them back home on a day's journey, he feeds them from almost nothing. And seeing the mother grieving the death of her only son, he stops the funeral procession, and he tells the dead to rise. I'm filled with wonder and curiosity at this phrase. I want that feeling of compassion deep in my gut. I want to know what it feels like, and I want to feel confident that I can act through that compassion that connects us with others. And this desire, this curiosity, is what has left me wondering, how is Jesus able to feel this compassion? What happened to him that allowed him to connect with people in this way? As I've sat with these questions, two things have become clearer for me. The first, Jesus's compassion for others is rooted in his own experiences. And two, modern research on compassion confirms the observation that compassion is a practice that requires let us turn now to our gospel reading today in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. And let's read of Jesus' own experience and wonder how his story prepared him to practice compassion. Hear these words. When the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, and where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophets. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious he gave orders to kill all of the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years and old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. 
Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophet, so that he would be called a Nazarene. Humans are social creatures. We need connection to survive and to belong. We need connection with one another. And nothing drives human connection more than the collective moments of joy and the sharing of experiences of pain. At times, the roller coaster of joy and pain in the gospel narrative of Jesus' life is enough to lift your stomach into your throat. The birth story may give you this feeling. The gospel of Matthew captures the birth of Jesus across just two verses. The second half of verse 25 in chapter 1 and the first verse in chapter 2. They say Mary gave birth to a son, and Joseph gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. With the precision of a tweet, Matthew gives us the who, what, when, and where clearly intent on bringing the focus of his audience and us to different dynamics of the messianic story. Leaving behind their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the Magi's presence is replaced by an angel. Joseph receives the message in a dream one night that they need to pack up and leave for Egypt because the child is in danger. Under the cover of night, the holy family leaves the land of promise to return to the land that oppressed their ancestors. There, as refugees, the small family lives until the news of Herod's death reaches them. Why does Herod's death matter? Well, as commentator Laura C. Sweat says, the policies of men cause chaos and destruction and pain and sorrow, and not much has changed in Jesus' time or our own. Following the family's flight to Egypt, Matthew tells us of the danger brought on by Herod's paranoia. All males, two and under, were executed so that Herod could sleep well at night, knowing that his throne is protected from the unassuming corner of Bethlehem. This is one of those highly uncomfortable sections of scripture that we'd rather skip over. The words of the prophet remind us that this is a tragedy the murder of these children is not the fulfillment of scripture, and the murder of these children is not God's desire or plan. Never is the murder of innocence God's direction. Instead, the words of the prophet remind us that we ought to be prepared for such horror and tragedy, prepared to lament, prepared to respond, for the followers of Christ present a direct challenge to the authorities, the powers, and people that would kill children. We as a people offer a path that is an alternative to the narratives that end in hate and death and self-preservation. It's the first time that we, as the reader of the Gospel of Matthew, are asked to have compassion. In fleeing state-sanctioned violence, Jesus survives to move into the small neighborhood, Nazareth, an even more unsuspecting place than Bethlehem. It's here that Jesus will become a man and begin his public ministry one day. 
imagine with me what it might have felt like for Mary and Joseph and Jesus to be on the move so much early in life, early in their marriage. Maybe your own life has been similar. Now imagine yourself as a laborer, as Joseph was. Every time they moved, you'd have to restart his business, rebuild his reputation as a craftsman. He had no four-star reviews or social media accounts to pad his resume of work everywhere he went. Each move was sell what you can, take what you can, and rebuild with those you love. As we imagine and wonder about Jesus' life, we have to accept certain realities of Jesus' story. His family fled political persecution of the worst kind. They were refugees, and they lived as working poor. Jesus' worldview was cross-cultural, having lived some formative years in Egypt before returning to Israel, and Jesus saw hard living. Jesus also experienced hard living. And it's from that perspective that I see the roots of Jesus' compassion. Brene Brown is a researcher of emotions, specifically shame and vulnerability. This past year, I've really dug into her work and put my nose into a lot of the things that she has written and shared with the world, from her books, her podcast, and now her HBO Max TV series. It all started with my own desire to grow on my own emotional vocabulary around my experiences that got me started with her work. And then with our students this fall, we spent eight weeks talking about belonging, which brought me even further to Brene's work as she draws many lines from human connection to belonging. One idea that has stuck with me is that our connection with our, I'm sorry, our connection with others can only be as deep as our connection with ourselves. Our connection with others can only go as deep as our connection with ourselves. By this, Brene means that if we don't understand ourselves, what we need, want, and believe, we cannot share ourselves with others, much less have the capacity to receive others. And this is where compassion comes in. From her research, Brene says, compassion is the daily practice of recognizing and accepting our shared humanity so that we treat ourselves and others with loving kindness and we take action in the face of suffering. Compassion is receiving others as they are with knowledge of where we are, with loving kindness, taking action against suffering. Compassion is being united in our common Compassion is about being able to step into the darkness that someone else finds themselves in. And Jesus made these things a practice in his life. Jesus would rise early, connect with God the Father in silence, solitude, and prayer. And he would go out into the world aware of who he was, where he came from, and how his joy and how his pain gave him the capacity to receive others, especially in their pain and suffering. And something about the nature of compassion that illuminates the person of Jesus for me is that compassion is a relationship between equals. We affirm that Jesus is God and 
that Jesus is human. Jesus' capacity for compassion is rooted in his humanness. In his lived experience, Jesus' compassion for others and for us is connected to Jesus' connection and experience with the pain and sorrow of life. So in your pain and in your suffering, remember that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God who lived among us, not in comfort and grandeur, but rather on the edges and in the margins. So when you find yourself in the margins, know that Christ has compassion on you and wants to act on your behalf. Christ's compassion is filled with acts of loving kindness that connect us to God and to ourselves. When we receive this compassion, it is our job to then go and practice the same, to have compassion with others so that we can help connect others with God and in turn with themselves. Imagine what we would be capable of if we practice compassion in the way we share and respond to the stories of others. An example came to me from Netflix. There's a new special on Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. From their perspective, they share and tell of their experience with the British media and the institution that is the monarchy. In it, they share a powerful story of human connection, and I think it's an example of how compassion is practiced and how it requires action. In the winter of 2019, Harry and Meghan moved into a home on Vancouver Island, Canada, with their baby boy, Archie. They were driven there to seek refuge in the hope of escaping the tabloid press that had made their life, and especially Meghan's, unbearable. After six weeks, the press located them and released where the family was living. With their location once again public, the paparazzi descended on them looking to capture anything they could sell for a quick buck. Director and actor Tyler Perry had been aware of Harry and Meghan's plight, and he had personally reached out in the past to say to them two things. One, I believe you. And two, if there's anything that I could ever do, I will be there for you. With the dawn of 2020 and the pending limitations that were coming from COVID-19, the prince and the duchess decided once again that they needed to move to their security and their safety. Looking for a way out, they found refuge through the benevolent offer of care. For them to live in his home for as long as it took them to find their own place in America. This act of human connection and belief culminated with Tyler being given the distinct honor of becoming the godfather to Meghan and Harry's second child, little Harry. Sharing our stories is a practice of compassion. Listening and believing the stories of others is a practice of compassion. This new year, sit with your stories, those filled with joy, those filled with pain, and ask God to use them to grow your capacity for compassion. If you want to get a step further, seek others out and listen to their stories and see what acts of compassion come forth when you build a genuine connection over our shared existence. Use empathy to understand others and the experiences they share with you. And most of all, may you become someone known 
to be filled with compassion. It was with a deep sense of connection that Jesus gathered with his disciples and his dearest friends. The night that he was handed over to the authorities that his families had fled those many years before. And I imagine with a feeling of compassion that he addressed them during that final meal. And he took the bread. He gave thanks for it and he broke it. He shared it with them. He said, take, eat. This is my body. So I invite you now to take your communion elements that have been provided you. Go ahead and remove the wafer. And receive this morning as a gift of compassion, as a remembrance and a sign of grace, the body of Christ broken. took a cup. He gave thanks for it. And he shared it with them. He said, take, drink. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. So in a like manner, let us take our cups this day.